I want to thank our sponsors, Athletic Greens, who created AG1, one of the most innovative packets of supplements, including 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. These ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I personally started using Athletic Greens and love the way I feel in the morning after I drink it. And I no longer have energy crashes throughout the day. And the best part is that it's delicious. The founder of Athletic Greens created AG1 because he experienced a ton of gut health and ended up on a complicated and expensive supplement routine to recover. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash yasmine. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash yasmine, Y-A-S-M-E-E-N, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hi, my name is Yasmin Tarehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Today's episode is about lucid dreaming as a gateway to the inner self with Robert Wagner. Robert taught himself how to lucid dream as a junior in high school by creating a simple technique to become lucid. And five years later, the scientific evidence for lucid dreaming was validated. Since that time, Robert has had more than 1,000 lucid dreams. His two books, Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self, and Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple, with co-author Karen McCready, have been translated into many languages. Robert also teaches lucid dreaming internationally and online to help people access creativity, heal wounds, and discover their larger selves. So welcome to the show, Robert. Oh, thanks for having me. So Robert, to kick it off, why is it so important to understand our dream state? Why were you so interested when you were younger? You know, when I was younger, I had fascinating dreams. Sometimes I'd have precognitive dreams where a dream character would say an interesting phrase, and then five hours later on the playground, I'd hear one of my playmates say those exact same words. And and so I just found dreaming just so fascinating. And as I kept going, I eventually taught myself how to lucid dream, and then that opened up an entirely new world. But I, I really agree with uh, Sigmund Freud that dreams are the royal road to the unconscious. And if we ever want to claim our true self, our whole self, what we really have to begin to connect with our inner awareness, our inner self. And one fantastic way to do that is through dreaming and lucid dreaming. And what does it actually mean to lucid dream for folks who are listening in our audience? They may not understand exactly what's the difference between dreaming and lucid dreaming. And maybe you could talk to us about the stages of lucid dreaming. Right. So um, so a lucid dream is any dream in which you realize within the dream that you're dreaming you literally know, hey, wait a second, this is a dream. 
how can this be? Oh, this has to be a dream. I'm dreaming this. And, and so I, I remember my first spontaneous lucid dream when I was 10 or 11 years old. Um, I found myself in the uh, public library looking at books. And all of a sudden, a little Tyrannosaurus Rex came walking through the book stacks. And, and even at age 10 or 11, I thought, wait a second, dinosaurs are extinct. How can this be? And, and suddenly I realized I have to be dreaming. This is a dream. And I knew that I was dreaming. And so to convince myself, I told myself to wake up and I woke up and that, that convinced me that, oh yeah, I, I was aware that I was dreaming. So that, that's what a lucid dream is. Anytime you realize within a dream that you're dreaming. Now, for a lot of people, uh, they don't understand what a powerful uh, technique this can be for inner growth and development you know, in fact, in Buddhist dream yoga, um, they say that the Indian uh, yogi Naropa said that lucid dreaming and Buddhist dream yoga was one of the six paths to enlightenment. So lucid dreaming is a very, very deep subject. And that's why in my first book, I, I said that there were kind of five stages to lucid dreaming. And, and so the first stage is, is you just play around. You become lucidly aware, you play around, you avoid pain, you just have fun, you fly, you have lucid dream sex, you do whatever you want to do. There, <laughs> there's just whatever you want to do. But then, then in the second stage, you're, you're, it's about kind of um, manipulating and learning how to better manipulate the dream environment to get what you want to have. And then in the third stage, that's, where, that's when you've kind of reached this sense of real power but the beautiful thing is oftentimes at that sense where you think you're really powerful in the lucid dream state, that's when you realize that, oh, no, there, there's really something more going on here. And, and that's when I discovered that there was an awareness behind the dream. And, and we can talk about that later. But those are what the next two stages are about, is reaching out to this awareness behind the dream. And then the final stage, I think, is is really what the Buddhists point at, is, is experiencing awareness. And so it's going beyond lucid dreaming uh, to pure awareness. And so that's what my first book uh, kind of outlined as the stages of lucid dreaming. I want to actually double-click on those last two stages. I mean, what does that mean, um, you know, to be that awareness, to sort of, you know, be sort of outside yourself? Does it feel like you're kind of in the second person or third person? <laughs> Well, um, so, so, the, so the fourth stage is, is reaching out to this uh, awareness behind the dream. And so uh, well, I discovered this one time when I was uh, part of a lucid dream explorers group back in the 80s. And every month we had a goal to achieve. And mon one month it was to, the goal was to find out what the dream figures in your lucid dream represent. And, and so I thought that'd be really an easy uh, task because by that time I'd probably had four or 500 lucid dreams. And so I became lucidly aware, followed this woman into an office, and suddenly I remembered the goal that month. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to find out what the dream figures represent. So I went up to a man and I asked him, excuse me, what do you represent? And instead of the dream figure responding, a voice from above him, a non-visible voice, boomed out a response. And, and in the morning, I thought, why didn't the dream figure respond? Why did this non-visible voice explain what this dream figure represented? And then I began to wonder, is there an awareness behind the dream? 
And, and so after that, in my lucid dreaming life, when I'd become lucid, I would just reach out to this awareness behind the dream and ask it things like, hey, dream, show me something important for me to see. And then sometimes the entire lucid dream would change, or I'd see something incredibly important or something very symbolically uh, meaningful. And so I went on that direction for a long, long time. And then finally, I began to think, this awareness behind the dream, it's more creative than I am. It's more knowledgeable than I am. It's, it's in many respects, the, the larger, it's the larger awareness. It's the larger self. Mm. But where does it have its existence? How does it exist? And at that point, I began to wonder, what's, what's the true nature of reality? Because I began to see that, that this system of dreaming and lucid dreaming they reflected back to me my beliefs and expectations, my thoughts and feelings. They got reflected back to me. And I realized the same thing was happening in my waking life. And so then I began to wonder, what's a true reality? And that's when I began to have some really strange experiences. I'd fall asleep and the entire night would be nothing but blue light. Hmm. And, and I remember the first time this happened, I, I got up in the morning and I thought, what do I put in my dream journal? Blue light? You know, there's... There was no me, no action, no plot, no symbols. It was just this blue light the entire night. And um, this would ha kept happening intermittently. And I remember one morning I came down to the breakfast table and, and my wife looked at me and said, Robert, what's happening to you? And I asked her why she had asked me that. And she said, last night, I, I think I looked at your face in the middle of the night and I'd never seen someone in so much bliss before. What's, <laughs> what's happening to you? And I said, well, I'm trying to understand the actual nature of reality, and I'm going really deep, and I'm having some really interesting experiences. And, and, that, and then a whole other group of things happened after all this. But, but that's, that's, why, uh, that, that's why I agree with the, um, with the Buddhists that that uh, as you go deeper and deeper on this path of lucid dreaming and understand it, you begin to, at some point, you realize that if everything's a co-creation of you and your larger awareness in, in this field of other awarenesses, that, then is there a real reality? Mm. And, and what's, what's the nature of a mm. real reality? And, and that's when all of this started to happen. So that's a long answer to a, a very simple question. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah. I'm, well, I think that question is, is important, right? Like the dreaming space, I think for some of us feels even more real than our waking state. And so I think the idea of even just our waking reality being like some kind of dream and I, the point that you make about co-collaboration. So how much of this space in lucid dreaming or tapping into our kind of subconscious, how much of that can we shift in our current reality? I'd love to go deeper on that because, you know, I think a lot of people definitely don't track their dreams, don't, de certainly probably don't get to the awareness space in their dream, but have you been able to sort of shift things in your physical reality um, from a lucid dreaming space and also does it just affect you or does it affect other people? <laughs> I know there's a lot of yeah. questions there, so pick one. You, you know, um, I, I've written a second book, um, like you mentioned, with my co-author, Carolyn McCready, and it's Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple. In the very final chapter, 
I have a technique that anyone can use. You don't have to be a lucid dreamer. Um, anyone can use to see that they exist in a type of dream. And, and, and when I call waking reality a type of dream, what I mean by that is a, a dream is a mental creation. And, and so when I say waking reality is a type of dream, I'm, I'm trying to say that waking reality is, is has fundamentally um, uh, it's it's basically a mental creation in and of itself. So so here's the technique. Here's the technique. Um, you don't have to remember your dreams. Just do this technique for for about seven days nonstop. Um, figure out a neutral characteristic you have about yourself. So you're not good at it. You're not bad at it. You're really neutral. You you don't even think about it. It's a neutral characteristic. So, so let's say. Let's say it's how funny you are. You're not really funny, but you're not unfunny. You're just kind of right there in the middle. You're neutral. So 10 times a day for one minute, tell yourself that you are the funniest person in your city, the funniest person in your state. In fact, you're the funniest person in your country. You are so funny. People just roar with laughter whenever you open your mouth. And, and for one minute, imagine this. Just keep telling yourself that you're the funniest person there is. And then stop it. Then about 10 times a day, spend one minute telling yourself how you're the funniest person out there. So what you're doing is you're energizing a neutral belief. And so there's no resistance to that energizing of it because it's a neutral thing. You, you really don't care. This is just kind of a play thing. You're just energizing it. I'll tell you, if you do this day after day, by day four or five, You'll be at the checkout counter at the convenience store, and you'll say something, and everyone will burst out laughing. <laughs> and and you'll, th you'll think in your mind, that wasn't even funny. I was not trying to be funny. That was not funny. People just burst out laughing. And then you'll start to see it all over the place. You'll do something, say something, and people will just roar with laughter. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, in one of my online workshops, a woman did this. Uh, she, she said that, she was in her late 50s, and, and she'd kind of given up on being attractive. You know, being attractive was a neutral characteristic for her. She said she did this, and on day four of doing that, she said a guy in his 30s asked her for her phone number. And, and she, <laughs> she was wearing a beat-up T-shirt and, and, and shorts and stuff. And, and she, she said she even had her wedding ring on. And she thought, what's this guy doing? And no one's done this for 30 years with me. But I'll tell you. That's that's when you begin to see that the contents of your mind are being projected out there, and then it's being reflected back to you in the responses of people and, and in the responses of the world. And that's when you begin to see, wait a second, I exist in a type of dream. It's My stuff is being reflected back to me. Oh, what a beautiful system this is, you know, to, to wake up. And, and so that, that's why I tell people, you don't have to be a lucid dreamer to realize that you exist within a type of mental creation. If you do this technique, you can see it for yourself. Wow, that is so awesome, Robert. Um, yeah, and, and so you said that you start with something neutral. What if it's something that you have a strong charge around? Does that also work? You know, so this is where the problem with like the law of attraction and, and these kind of things is. N not that there's a problem with that. Fundamentally, they're correct. But the problem is people will take their biggest issue 
You know, maybe their biggest issue is, um, you know, making money or maybe their biggest issue is, is having loving relationships or maybe their bigger is- issue. But they already have 20 or 30 years of beliefs and ideas and emotions all tied up on that big issue. And that's why it's a big issue for them. And so when they when they try to change their mind about it, you know, and, and energize what they want, they're actually fighting a bunch of other energy that they've collected over the last 20 years. And that's why with with some of that, it takes a lot of work to burst through and and, and uh, have that realization. So that's why I encourage people, start with a neutral characteristic, pump that neutral characteristic up, see how now it's being reflected back to you, and now you learn about the law of attraction. That's the easiest way to learn about the law of attraction. If you start on the hardest, most energized area, oh my gosh, you have to work so hard. So anyway, that, that that's that's the reason that I like this approach. And just one day I came up with it uh, I love when it. I was thinking about lucid dreaming. I yeah. love it. And um, how long does it take when there is an emotional charge? Just curious if you've <laughs> <laughs> tested that. <laughs> you know, here's, here's the one thing. When you start with a neutral one and, and after five or six days, you see it being reflected back to you. I, I mean, the first time it happened to me, I, I actually started to cry. To, to see how easy it was to do this technique and, and see that I exist in a type of dream. I exist in a type of mental creation. Now, what I would do, I would then take it a step up, you know, to a little bit of a charged issue. You know, it's not, it's not issue number one, you know, it's issue number 23 or something. And, uh, and, and every day spend 10 minutes, you know, at one minute intervals energizing the belief of what you want, what, what you want to achieve, your intent, and, and then, then see when, when that changes and reflects back to you your energized belief. And uh, so, so it just um, it takes as long as it takes, I, I guess, is really the approach. But, but you can also use this to resolve uh, physical health issues and other things. It, it's, it's truly phenomenal. Incredible. And, uh, you know, in your book, I think you talk about using um, counterintuitive technique to ignore the dream figures and objects. Can you tell us more about that and what that means? Right. So so many of us, um, when we become lucidly aware, uh, we begin to interact with the dream figures. You know, we talk to them, we ask them questions, we fly with them, we dance around, we do whatever. And so we're kind of socialized as social characters or social people to, to interact with others. And But in a, when I realized that there was an awareness behind the dream, this non-visible awareness, that's, that's when I began to use this counterintuitive approach of ignoring the dream figures and just reaching out to my larger awareness this non-visible, unconscious mind, and asking it questions. Hey, dream, show me something important for me to see. Or asking it to experience a concept. Hey, dream, let me experience unconditional love, and then see what happens. And sometimes you'd have the most incredibly powerful experience. It would just blow your mind. I I recall one time I, I reached out to my larger awareness, and I said, hey, dream, Show me my life as if it was a painting. And, wow. and within microseconds, um, an 80-foot by 40-foot painting appears in the sky above me. 
And I thought, how much creativity did it take to create this giant painting of, of, you know, the events of my life, you know, in microseconds? How much creativity does that take? And that's when you realize that you're going beyond the kind of Robert Ego level of creativity. You know, you're, you're really tapping into these deeper levels of the self and it's amazing creativity. And so that's why it's con- counterintuitive. We're, we're, we're used to interacting with people. We're not used to interacting with a non-visible awareness. Wow. And, and, and that's, why, that's why it's counterintuitive. So fascinating. Yeah, because I, <laughs> I mean, I had a dream last night, which is kind of like ridiculous. It felt mundane. And I think a lot of us fixate on like what's actually happening around us. I think I was like eating at a restaurant somewhere with, with my partner, <laughs> which right. is funny. Um, but, uh, but I didn't think to just ignore that and go into this, like the awareness space or to ignore, you know, and then just to go into maybe asking a question, right. That's, that's so fascinating. And so I'd love for you to tell us maybe a personal story or a story that you have witnessed of transformation. Could be, you know, an anecdotal, but I'd love to to really root this in in what has worked in your history of experience and share that with the audience. Right. Um, so so Lucid dreaming leads to a lot of transformations. Um, when my first book, Lucid Dreaming Gateway to the Inner Self, came out, it was three years later, I got an email from this young guy. And he started out that I wanted to write you after I got my associate's degree at a community college in California. And he said, the reason I wanted to write you once I got that is that that would mean I had been sober for at least two years, because um, I've struggled with meth addiction all my life. And he, and he told me how he had gone to rehab twice, you know, like when he was 16 and 18, after the police had picked him up or whatever for, for his, his drug habit and all that it entailed. And the second time he was in rehab, the drug counselor had my first book sitting there on his table, and, and the guy said he was so bored out of his mind that, that he asked the drug counselor if he could read the book. And so he's reading the book about how you can reach out to this larger awareness once you become lucidly aware. And he began to tell me that he and his larger awareness began to have conversations. And the one that really did it for him was one time he was talking to his larger awareness in a lucid dream, and it was asked him, would you like to know what your life would be like if you continue to use drugs? Mm. And he said, sure, sure, show me. And he said for the next 10 minutes, it was like watching a video of all the people he would harm, all the harm he would do to his body, all, all the unhappiness that he would help create. And, and he said as he watched it, he just became increasingly horrified at, at what drug addiction would bring into his life and cause. And he said when he woke up from that lucid dream, he decided to go clean. Wow. And, and so he wrote me this email, you know, after he got his associate's degree because he knew that would take him two years and for him to stay clean for two years would be an incredible feat for him. So so th- those are kind of the examples of people who, uh, just one example of people who have used lucid dreaming for kind of a, for kind of an inner healing and, and kind of an emotional healing as well. Um, I, I also remember talking to uh, uh, 
a psychotherapist counselor who who was working with a client who had agoraphobia, and the client that uh, they didn't even meet in person, and, and so it was it was quite hard to work with this client who had agoraphobia, and, and so so um, the counselor brought in dream work, uh, but the the agoraphobic didn't care for dream work. And then the counselor brought up lucid dreaming, and, and that really interested the person with agoraphobia. And, and I remember the counselor told me that one time the agoraphobic was describing a lucid dream, and, and this agoraphobic had also learned to reach out to the larger awareness. And, and the larger awareness asked ask the agoraphobic, do you remember what happened in your last dream? And so he thought about it for a moment, and he replied, oh, you mean when I killed all those people and destroyed that village and, and just hacked everyone to bits? And, and the larger awareness said, yes. Do you think you could have had a different response? And, and, and this, this counselor told me that she was blown away by what she was hearing from this person's interaction with the larger awareness. And finally, after basically six months of lucid dreaming, uh, this agoraphobic uh, person finally left their, ho their home for the first time wow. in years. And it's just because they began to interact with this larger awareness. The, and uh, one reason I bring that up is, you know, we, we can... We can, we can lie to our therapist, we can lie to our partner, we can lie to our friends and family and all that kind of stuff. But, but I'll tell you, when you begin to interact with your inner self, you, you realize that, uh, that you, you're interacting with something fundamentally true, uh, some, something that in some regards you know, knows you even better than you know yourself. And, and so that's, that's why I feel that, you know, uh, this, that's why I call my first book, Lucid Dreaming Gateway to the Inner Self. When you begin to engage your inner self, it's, it's fundamentally transformational. Mm, powerful. And Robert, do you lucid dream every day um, or how, how often does it happen and, and how long does it take to, to get to that space? Like, is there anything that we can do to get to a lucid dreaming space? Like, how do you kind of coach people right. to, to get to that process? Yeah. So, uh, so to be a frequent lucid dreamer in scientific research terms, you just need to have one lucid dream a month. Hmm. And, and so, if you have five dreams a night, you know that's that's and thirty days in the month. You know that you have a, you have one hundred fifty days. You just have to become or one hundred fifty dreams. You just have to become lucid in one of them. That, that makes you a frequent lucid dreamer. Um, you know, there's. So when I started out uh, with my simple technique, uh, I, I'd probably have, you know, two or three lucid dreams a month. Uh, I taught myself, you know, through some other approaches, how to get up to 30 lucid dreams a month. Uh, some nights I'd have two or three lucid dreams. But I'll tell you, that takes a lot of effort and a lot of focus and all that kind of thing. Um, if I just go back to regular programming and, and don't have the intention to become lucidly aware uh, over the course of a month, you know, I might have two or three lucid dreams just spontaneously. So, so they don't happen every night, uh, at least for me. But, but to get on the lucid dreaming path, I, I think the first thing a person has to do is, is to begin to improve their dream recall. Because if you can't remember your dreams, that then you know your lucid dreams will even uh, disappear because you you won't remember them. So you got to get into a habit of dream recall, and then. 
I I hate to say it, but I, I I've been a lucid dreamer for more than forty years. So so I'm going to plug this second book, Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple. It helps to have a book written by an experienced lucid dreamer with some solid techniques, and and some of the most simple ones are just the power of suggestion, like telling yourself before you go to sleep, tonight in my dreams I'll be more observant, and when I notice something strange. I'll realize I'm dreaming. So tonight in my dreams, I'll be more observant. And when I notice something strange, I'll realize I'm dreaming. Because most of us will have, if we think of dreams we've had the past week, there was a lot of strange things going on. You know, what, what was I doing back in my elementary school? And and what what was I doing in that strange town? And and why was I in Russia? I've never been to Russia before. And, and if you become more observant, though, and tell yourself to become more observant, then, then you have that capacity to achieve lucidity. Because in regular dreaming, we just accept whatever happens. But if we tell ourselves to be more observant and notice when something strange occurs, th then we're more likely to become lucidly aware. But that's just part of the process because it's kind of like uh, jumping into the lake. You <laughs> still have to you still have to know how to swim once you once you get into the lake. You know, uh, so so there there's a a bit more to lucid dreaming uh, even. Than just becoming lucid, uh, that but that is a beginning point. Fascinating. And uh, Robert, what about um, how our emotional world connects to our dream world? Um, how how does that work? I mean, because sometimes in dreams it feels like things are so deep and profound, but yet you know when we wake up it's not that big of a deal. Like, how, why is why is there so, sometimes such a disconnect there? And if you happen to know that answer. Right. You know, um, I, I think um, the emotional aspect of dreaming is one of the best ways, uh, especially when it comes to interpreting dreams. Um, uh, like in my own life, I, I recall one night I had a dream where, where uh, it involved dancing on a grave at midnight, and I was so happy as I danced on that grave. And when I woke up in the morning, I thought, wow, a grave at midnight. I mean, that sounds kind of dark and negative, but I was dancing and felt so happy. And <laughs> then I realized that, oh, what happened there? The dream was about letting go of limiting beliefs about myself. And when I, when I let go of those limiting beliefs, now I was much more free and happy. And so the limiting beliefs had died. And, and I was so happy that a new day had come, that, you know, it was like, is in a sense, like being reborn. And so, so when I have a person tell me their dreams, you know, when, when I do a little bit of dream interpretation work, I always ask him, you know, well, how did you feel, you know? How did you feel when you saw whatever happened? Because I, I'm thinking, you know, that was really gruesome. And, and they'll say, oh, I felt so excited. I was so happy. And I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and, and, and so, so, so sometimes you, you realize that, the, that uh, the, the emotions are the truth of the image, if I can put it like that. That if you follow the emotional aspect of how you responded to the imagery, that's the truth of the image. Uh, if the image is whatever it is, gruesome or horrific or whatever, that doesn't matter. It's how you feel about what you're experiencing. 
And so um, when you experience those emotions, like, is it just a release when you have a dream? Like, is it you, you kind of are processing them? Well, you know, there, there's some uh, research work that's been done by various uh, researchers that show that lucid dream, our regular dreams are involved in emotional processing. So memory processing, processing emotions, and, and that kind of thing happen. Uh, so, sometimes I've realized that in my dreams and also my lucid dreams that sometimes uh, I'm dreaming about the most emotionally salient event of the day. And uh, I think, oh, wow, that, that's kind of wild. But it's kind of like the one thing that really piqued my interest that I haven't really resolved yet that made me wonder and think, oh, how do I really feel about this? And so it's the one thing that, you know, the thing that still needed some resolution. And so so emotions and the dream world, they do connect, uh, but but so does creativity in the dream world and, and a lot of things in the dream world. But emotions are definitely important. Mm, wow. So, Robert, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and why you decided to spend so much of your life dedicated to this work and helping other people go through this space? It seems like there's it's becoming more popular now, but uh, I imagine that when you started this work that there probably weren't that many resources on this topic. That's right, exactly. Uh, so, so if you can imagine... Uh... I was a young guy uh, back in 1975. I was a junior in high school. And one of my older brothers had come home from college, and he brought some of the uh, Castaneda books by Carlos Castaneda. And so I was reading the third book, Journey to Ixtlan. And in this book, um, the shamanic teacher, Don Juan, is telling Carlos Castaneda to find his hands in the dream state and realize he's dreaming. And, and so I'm looking at that thinking, is that even possible? Can you do that? Is, is that really a deal? And, and so I start thumbing through the pages trying to figure out, well, well where's the technique? And, and so there really wasn't a technique. So, so I just invented my own. Um, I knew about the power of suggestion. And so each night before I'd go to sleep, I'd just look at the palms of my hands while telling myself, tonight in my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. Tonight in my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. Tonight, my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. And I'd go do that for five minutes, fall asleep, uh, write down my dreams. And on the third night of doing this process, um, I was walking through my high school hallway, and suddenly my hands popped right in front of my face. And I thought, oh my God, my hands, this is a dream. And it was so wild to realize that these football player guys over here, hey, they're dream figures. And I reached over and touched the wall, and it felt cool and nubby, just like, just like it would in waking reality. But I knew it was a dream. And, and I went on and had an, just an incredible lucid dream. So so in many respects, in my early life, um, I, I was a little bit of a kind of a mystic kid. I, you know, I was amazed that occasionally I had precognitive dreams. I was also one thing that surprised me about my dream life, too. It seemed to show me what I believe are past life incidents. Hmm. And, and when you grow up in a family like I did, you know, uh, you know, we'd go to church most Sundays and stuff like that. And I was kind of a little mystical, spiritual kid. But, but I'm having these dreams that are showing me past life experiences. And some of them I could confirm as, in, in some regard, 
and that began to show me that oh my my inner life is is telling me that that my religious upbringing is a little bit too strict and I, I have to expand it and so, so that's when I began to really see um, dreaming also as a means of teaching me about the actual nature of things uh, about the actual nature of reality so so that's kind of what got me started on my journey and uh, and uh, probably at the same time I began to read the books. Uh, by Jane Roberts called the Seth material. Oh. And that, that, that was also really uh, powerful and kind of making me think of things in different terms. The Seth material, is that channeled? Right, right. It's, she was probably uh, the first and most popular channeled author out there, mm. uh, Jane Roberts. And, uh, I remember uh, one of my brothers uh, came home from college and, and he threw this book at me and he said, hey, you like this metaphysical junk? And, and, it, and, and the book was called The Seth Material. And I opened it up and whenever there was a quote by Seth, it, it was like electricity was coming out of the words that they were just like, oh my God, this sounds so true. This sounds so real. And, and so that that's uh, for people who are into that kind of thing, uh, it's... It's really something uh, I found either people either really love it and resonate immediately with it or they look at it and it just it's just doesn't do anything for them. Mm. So, Powerful. Yeah, yeah I, I am interested in that and that work and other works. And um, Robert, can you tell us like what's been most surprising to you about the research or some of the stories that you've heard are also maybe a personal experience when it comes to lucid dreaming? You know, um, one of the great things that happened to me, um, about uh, 30 years ago, I began to go to the annual conference of the International Association for the Study of Dreams. And, and that's where I met some other just incredible uh, lucid dreamers, and, and we would compare notes. And, and it's amazing when you realize that People are coming up with the same realizations and and all, but but they're doing it from their own perspective. But but at that time, I, I met uh, one guy, uh, Ed Kellogg, who was investigating using lucid dreams for physical healing, and it was so incredible to realize that he was beginning to collect. Um, not only his own lucid dream stories of physical healing, but also other people's uh, experiences with lucid dream healing. And in both of my books, I have chapters on using lucid dreams for physical healing and also emotional healing. And people write me from all around the world just telling me incredible stories of, you know, sometimes it's not uh, 100% healing but it's a 70 or 80% healing, and they feel so much better. Um, one that was really powerful, um, I, I was invited down to Bogota, Colombia to give talks, and uh, they were translated in Spanish for, for the audience there. And, and in the front row was, was this one woman who who was like 40 years old. She, she, she was an attractive person, but she had all this pain etched in her face. And, and you probably noticed that. Sometimes you'll meet somebody and, and you can just see the pain in their face. Mm. And, and of course, I, I didn't know why she had pain in her face. But the one thing I did notice, she asked excellent questions. So I knew she was already a pretty experienced lucid dreamer. And, and so I, that made me happy for her. Anyway, they, they had me come back to Bogota six months later 
And in through the door walks this woman, but now it's like 70 or 80% of the pain is gone from her face. And she, I mean, she literally looks younger, taller, more attractive, the whole thing. And I went up to her and I asked her through the, through the translator, what happened to you? And she said she had never thought about the concept of emotional healing in a lucid dream. And so she did exactly what I said in the workshop, that you should develop a plan that you're going to implement when you become lucidly aware. So in her waking state, she developed a plan. Then later that week, she became lucid. She remembered her plan and she performed her plan for emotional healing. And she said the amount of energy and emotional healing that occurred in that lucid dream was just off the charts. And she said when she woke up, she just felt like a different person. And she said the funny thing was she can still remember the traumatic incidents that happened in her life, but she said now they have no feeling associated wow. with them. And, and I'll tell you, she she's another person who was completely transformed by lucid dreaming. So, so that's the beauty of it. Uh, there's so many facets of it. You can use it for spiritual exploration, for healing, for accessing creativity, for engaging your inner self, you know, for spiritual pursuits, whatever. You, it, it's kind of an open platform, uh, lucid dreaming is. But, but if you're smart, um, you, you'll use it for personal growth that'll probably lead uh, to personal transformation. Amazing. I'm taking all these notes. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to dive in. And uh, Robert, I know we're coming at time. I wanted to also know like, what other books or resources um, have inspired you on this path? Are there anything that you can, anything else you could share with our audience that could be helpful as they explore their own lucid dreaming and transformative experiences? Well, there's a lot of uh, books on lucid dreaming out there and all. Well, one thing I've realized is uh, the importance of beliefs, uh, not only in our waking life creations, but also our dream life creations. And, and so that's why it's important to, to have a good guide, uh, someone who's worked through their own stuff. Because if, if you just randomly go around the internet and get uh, ideas, you know, sometimes you can pick up some really limiting beliefs by teachers who, who haven't gone very deep. But, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to other resources, another part of lucid dreaming is that you're being mindfully aware within the dream state and you become lucid. And so, so the corollary is in the waking state is learning mindfulness techniques. To become more mindful of your waking state will automatically lead to becoming more mindfully aware in the dream state and becoming lucid. And that's something that one of the authors, uh, Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche, who, who talks about Buddhist dream yoga, uh, that, that's one thing that he's pointed out multiple times, and, and I agree with him totally. Amazing. And what would you say is your kind of main takeaway? What What's your call to action that you want people to do tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, if you can, start the journey of beginning to love your dream life. You know, fall in love with dreamings. I, I think of dreams as kind of like the poems of the mind. You know, so, some of the poems are somber, some of them are uh, euphoric, so, some of the poems are are mysterious. 
But but every dream is like a poem of the mind. And and so begin to fall in love with that poetry and, and see where it takes you. Because uh, I'll tell you, whether it's regular dreams or lucid dreaming, even, even a regular dream properly understood can totally and utterly change the course of your life and, and really just help you grow so tremendously. So, so fall in love with it and, and see where it leads you. And, uh, you know, I, I want to really wish everyone the very best as they go on their journey. Oh, amazing. Robert, thank you so much for your time. I've learned a ton. I've took, taken a ton of notes and I will report back to you in a couple months when I go through this journey myself. So thank you so much for sharing this with us. Okay. Thank you. It's been fun. Amazing. And where can people find you, Robert? You know, um, I have uh, various websites. Uh, you can go to lucid, lucid-dreaming-advice.com. And that's where you can find out events and workshops and things that I'm doing. And, and also I have a free online magazine uh, with my friend Lucy Gillis called The Lucid Dreaming Experience. And so if you type in Lucid Dreaming Magazine, um, you, you can read our quarterly magazine that we've been doing for more than 20 years. Amazing. And so you have online events right now? Yeah. Okay, yep. great. And so we'll include the link. Thank you so much again for your time and for our audience. Thanks for joining and for listening. In this episode, we learn about lucid dreaming as a gateway to the inner self with Robert Wagner. And you can tune in to Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one -on -one conversations with leading experts in wellness and spirituality. Thanks again. <laughs>